Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast. Matthew Roberts and I are joining you today from NCBio, the 2023 annual conference bringing together both regional and national leaders in the life sciences industry. On this episode, joining us is Christine Harha. She is the Senior Director of Advocacy and Strategic Alliances for Pharma. As a trade association, many of you may know, Pharma conducts advocacy for public policies that encourage the discovery of important new medicines for patients by pharmaceutical and biotechnology research companies. Christine, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about Pharma and your role. Sure. So Pharma, which stands for the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, is the trade association that represents our nation's leading biopharmaceutical research companies. Our members are really working at the cutting edge of science every day, constantly investing in discovery and research to bring new treatments and vaccines to patients and society writ large. And my colleagues at Pharma and I are working with folks in Washington, across the country, um, including right here in North Carolina, to advocate for policies that really um, enable a patient-centered ecosystem, one that really supports access to life-saving medicines, policies that really promote patient affordability, and of course, innovation, which is at the core of what we do. Um, and in my role, I work primarily with external stakeholders, so patient advocates, provider groups, think tanks, um, so on and so forth, to really um, you know, hold hands and work on promoting those policies and making sure that the U.S. really stays a leader in biopharma innovation. Right. So in 2022, Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, and it's being implemented now. And as a part of that implementation, there are some things that will in fact impact the pharmaceutical industry. Can you talk a little bit about how this law may impact patient affordability when it comes to drugs and access to drugs, and whether it has some restriction on innovation? Sure. Um, it's a great question, um, a topic I really love to talk about, um, not because I'm really supportive of many of the policies that are in the bill, but because it is a paradigm shift for how the industry operates, um, how patients will be impacted. Um, you know, and there are, I think, three core elements of the IRA when it comes to drug pricing provisions. I kind of think of them as the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, the good really are some patient affordability provisions. There is a $35 copay cap on insulins. Um, there is redesign of the Medicare Part D benefit. So there's now a $2,000 out-of-pocket annual maximum. Um, and Part D plans now are required to let uh, their enrollees move the cost, that $2,000 out over the course of the plan year. So that is good. Um, the bad are inflation rebates now that the industry will be paying to Medicare for medicines that have prices growing faster than inflation. And then the ugly are these government price controls, European price setting. Um, now for the first time, the US government will be able to dictate the prices of certain medicines starting in 2026. Um, and you know, like I said, I think there are some good elements of this. The patient affordability provisions can't be understated. We, as pharma, have been advocating for them for quite a while, and so we're supportive of them, but they really do not go far enough. They're not truly meaningful. I think there's a lot more work to be done 
targeting other players in the healthcare system who force patients to pay high out-of-pocket costs at the pharmacy. Um, but really, I think our main concerns are around those price setting provisions and what that's going to do to the future of innovation and access. Right. Um, you know, the industry now spends close to two and a half billion dollars in over 10 years to bring one drug to market. And so we're really worried that Congress sort of misunderstood the complexities involved with researching and developing new drugs and are going to cut off the future of new medicines. Um, and then I think the other big concern is that uh, we're not going to have the additional research that's happening on existing medicines. So figuring out how to use something we already have today to treat different patient populations, earlier stages of disease. Um, so there are you know, a lot of nuances in the law, some good, but quite a bit of bad yeah. as well. Speaking of the price controls, how do you expect them to actually live out in practice? CMS isn't always the most efficient in implementation. So what do you see there? Yeah, so that's a great question and very timely because we are in the thick of the process right now. Um, at the end of August of this year, CMS announced the first 10 drugs that will be subject to price controls again in 2026, that first year. And you see treatments for cardiovascular disease, diabetes, blood cancer, and autoimmune conditions on that list. And so there's a pretty compressed process that's playing out just over the course of a few weeks now for manufacturing manufacturers that have drugs on the list, as well as the patients who take those drugs and the doctors who prescribe them to kind of arm CMS with the data and information they'll need um, to go into those price setting conversations. Um, so we're all kind of watching this together right. and seeing how this plays out. I think the big thing we are going to be watching out for is what this actually looks like in practice for patients. Um, plans do have to cover the drugs that have their prices set, but there are no rules around um, what restrictions insurers place on them. So there could still be very burdensome prior authorization requirements or step therapy. There's no requirement that cost sharing for these price set medicines has to be lower. Um, so there, like I said, are a lot of things we're still watching out for. And I think we're quite concerned that without CMS kind of, you know, doing the right thing, plans could uh, really restrict access and make it harder for patients to get the medicines they need. Before we talk about the patient access, how transparent is CMS being about the process for selecting these drugs that go on this list? So, um, I think not that transparent, right. honestly. Um, it's the, the list is really open to drugs that have the highest uh, sort of spend in the Medicare market. Um, and there were many folks kind of making guesses before the list was published about what would actually end up on the list. And I think if you asked 10 different people, you'd get 10 different lists, even though I think you, you we all should have been working from the same data source to come up right. with the same list of drugs. Um, so I think that's definitely another issue we'll be watching for as this pro program plays out over future years, just making this less of a black box kind of process and really trying to shine a light and make it as transparent as possible so that at the end of the day, um, patients are benefiting. Let's talk about the patient assistance programs that most pharmaceutical companies have. 
what impact will these price control measures have on these patient assistance programs, which is another access point for patients who could not otherwise afford to get the, the medicine? Yeah, they are. Uh, the patient assistance programs are really critical, especially to patients who are uninsured or underinsured. I guess I would say, thankfully, the Inflation Reduction Act doesn't really impact those programs. So if you're somebody who's reliant on them now, that won't change for you um, in the future as a result of this law. But as I was mentioning before, I think the patient affordability provisions of the IRA don't go nearly as far as we need them to, to really alleviate that, you know, uh, financing pressure patients are facing at the pharmacy counter. So um, we'll really be looking towards other reforms for other players in the sector later this year. And I will also just note pharma um, has a great resource called MAT.org. MAT stands for Medicine Assistance Tool. Um, it's a search engine. It's not a patient assistance program on its own, but it's kind of a one-stop shop for patients to visit and sort of see what programs are available and out there. So I'd encourage people to, to pay a visit to matmat.org if they haven't already. Great, thank you. Let's switch topics. PBM legislation is being discussed in Congress. What's pharma's position on that? Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, PBMs or pharmacy benefit managers, they're sort of the middleman between patients and their medicines. Um, they're oftentimes really part of the insurer. Oftentimes they're one and the same. Um, and so there's been a lot of lack of transparency, I think, on PBM practices and the role these entities play in, again, making patients pay higher costs than they should for their medicine. I think what's been exciting is that many in Congress have recognized that these practices are inappropriate and shouldn't be allowed to continue. Um, I'll note that just last month, I think, the Government Accountability Office put out a very fascinating report that looked at how much more patients are paying for their drugs than their PBM is. And that's just not how insurance should work. And so there are a couple of um, bills moving their way through Congress now um, that we're very much supportive of. And those bills would do things like make sure PBMs are actually sharing the savings they're getting from their negotiations with manufacturers, that those are shared with the patients directly and that they aren't pocketed by the PBM or the insurer. And then secondly, there are bills around um, transparency provisions and just making sure that PBMs are being held to account for some of these bad practices that they've adopted. Okay. Jumping around a little bit, we... You mentioned earlier the cost and the time it takes for a drug to come to market, which I think most people don't realize and appreciate. But during COVID, we accelerated that price, that, 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 that process rather, and the timings to get the vaccines and other therapeutic drugs approved. What do you think the pharmaceutical industry learned from COVID in terms of how quick, quickly we can research, develop, and, and take a drug to market in, in that time? You know, it was, we had to do it. But yeah. What are some I, lessons learned from that? I think there are, I would say, probably three major lessons learned from that experience. It's sort of crazy to think about how it was just about three or, or four years ago when this was all happening. And so the progress that the industry was able to make was really unprecedented. And I think that comes down to, as I said, three things. One being partnerships. Um, it was companies sort of coming together and sharing information in a way they never really had before. It was governments, whether it was state, local, 
national, international coming together, um, you know, different entities doing what they could to shore up manufacturing and production, to address disparities that were coming up within communities when it came to how COVID was impacting different um, patient populations. And so I think we really relearned how important public and private collaboration is, um, how working with new kinds of partners is really important. That's going to be critical, I think, to the future of drug development beyond COVID. The second thing I'd say is we were really leveraging data and technology in ways we hadn't before. Obviously, COVID made it really difficult for in-person clinical trials to continue um, as they had been. And so um, researchers pivoted really quickly to a hybrid approach using remote monitoring technologies. They were also relying on new types of data and wearables um, to monitor how things were working in the real world. And I think building on the technology that's at our fingertips will also propel us into faster, more efficient drug development. And then the third thing I'd say is um, we really, I think, realize that we cannot be flat-footed when it comes to Absolutely, the next public health emergency. Yeah. Which there will be one. There so. will be one, and I worry a lot that the next one is actually around the corner, and that's antimicrobial resistance. Um, and, you know, that's what happens when bacteria become resistant to the drugs that are designed to treat them. We're facing a major problem on that front right now, and at the same time, there are a number of misaligned incentives in the market that make it really challenging for companies who want to be developing in that space to do so. And so there are policy solutions like the Pasteur Act that will help that, as well as um, industry initiatives like the AMR Action Fund, which are injecting um, a billion dollars um, to hopefully bring two to four new medicines to market by the end of the decade. Yeah. Well. We're getting ready to wrap up 2023, which is hard, again, hard to believe. COVID feels like it was just right around the corner. Looking ahead to 2024, what are you and pharma going to be watching? I think the implementation of the Inflation Reduction Act is very much still going to be at the top of our priority list. Um, there is an element of the law that we're calling the pill penalty. It really disincentivizes research into small molecule medicines, which often come in pill or tablet form. Um, so we'll really want to see a legislative solution to address that. We'll continue to really closely monitor CMS implementation and then really work hard to stop the expansion of price controls, both at the federal level and the state level. PBM reform, I think, will also still be a priority. We're hopeful for some progress this year, um, but understand that it could be a much longer term fight. Right. And so continuing to shine a light on those practices and the need for fixes will be at the top of the list. And we didn't really talk about this that much, but the hospital sector plays a big role, too, in driving up health care costs for patients. So making sure that hospitals are also held to account that programs like the 340B drug discount program are reined in. Um, I would say those are our three um, our three big areas of focus for the end of this year and looking into next. Well, that's a full plate for sure. It is. <laughs> a lot to focus on. On behalf of our Taking the Pulse crew and our viewers who are watching today, Christine, thank you so much for joining us. Christine Harhai, the Senior Director of Advocacy and Strategic Alliances for Pharma. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.